Thundergrunts. Wow, what an episode of Community. Hi, I'm Briggs Hatton, credited author of this week's episode. You might have noticed an emphasis on the topic of incest. Well, that's no accident. For the past two years, when not serving as writer's assistant on Community, I've been researching incest on the internet. What I found surprised me. Did you know that first cousins can have children without great risk of birth defect or genetic disease? That's a quote directly from the New York Times, April 4th, 2002. But despite this scientific fact, state laws on incest remain inconsistent and woefully outdated. I mean, I, I can make love to my cousin in Nebraska, but if I take her on a date in South Dakota, I'm looking at 15 years prison time. I told the community writers, attention must be paid. They said they'd allow me to address it on one condition. At the end of the episode, I must appear and identify myself as writer. Look, I'm not trying to tell you how to feel about incest. I'm just letting you know there's more to it than you've been told. I'm Briggs Hatton. I wrote the Community Season 6 Incest episode. Hobo Radio, the official podcast of HoboTrashCan.com. You can share your thoughts on the show anytime by emailing Joel at Murphy's Law at HoboTrashCan.com. Hi, this is Matt Gorley. You're listening to Hobo Radio. And uh, I'm not a hobo, but I would live the hobo lifestyle if given half a chance. Jumping on a bus, start eating beans from the can, looking at little symbols on people's houses to know if that's a place I can go steal a pile off a pie off a windowsill and a pile off a windowsill. Either a pile of physical stuff or a pile of the growth on a body. Well let's start this interview because I've already ended it. And now your host, miniature dog enthusiast, Joel Murphy. Hello again. I'm Joel Murphy. This is Hobo Radio. And today, I have a very special podcast for you. I am talking to Matt Gorley. Now, I imagine a lot of you heard that and you were like, oh, I love that guy. And then there's some percentage of you who heard that and was like, I don't know who that is. But you do. You've seen Matt Gorley. Uh, he has starred in a number of Volkswagen commercials. You might have seen him. Uh, if you've ever listened to a podcast... Matt Gorley has either been on it or runs it, uh, most notably the Super Ego podcast, but he is involved in a ton of them. Uh, he showed up in the final season of Community, which I talked to him about. Uh, the guy has done a ton of stuff, and I was very excited to get a chance to talk to him. But also, I think what was coolest about this interview is I realized that Matt Gorley might be my hero. Uh, just because as I was talking to him, he he's truly a creative spirit with just a, an amazing career that is the kind of career I would aspire to. Um, he has a number of artistic endeavors, uh, you know, musically acting. He's an improviser and he does all of these things when he's inspired to and has carved out a career for himself really on his own terms, doing the things he wants to do, which I just think it's amazing, and I thought we had a really pleasant chat, and I really enjoyed talking to him, so I will not prolong this any longer. Uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Matt Gorley.
Well, I always like to ask first, uh, how did you get into acting? Gosh, I, um, I guess from an early age, I was always interested in that sort of thing, like recording little improv bits and then doing stunt shows and stuff in the backyard. And then when I got to high school, I saw that people were doing improv and acting and got pretty heavily into it there. But I actually went to college to study graphic design, but ended up switching back to theater because I liked acting so much. And then uh, just did improv professionally. And a lot of my work sort of came from that, from the comedy world. When did you start to seriously consider it as a career path? Like, were you just continuing to do little things and then over time you kind of look back or was there a moment where you officially decided that that's what you were doing? Boy, I'm not sure I've still decided that. I, <laughs> um, I think I've always enjoyed doing it, but I don't know that I enjoy every uh, acting job. So I, I guess I, I still teach though. So I don't know how much longer I'm going to do that. And uh, just sort of let, I guess I was kind of like, when enough acting and comedy work came along so that I couldn't do the other stuff, I feel like I'm going to let that decide it for me. I'm usually pretty, um, uh, what's the word, like um, active in my choices in life. But this is one thing where I feel like I'm a little passive. So if it takes over, great. That means it's for the right reasons. You know, like uh, otherwise, I sort of feel like I should keep my other irons in the fire just to keep my brain sane. I get a little crazy when I just do one thing. So I always get like to try other things. So how much time do you think you spend tracking down work and how much of it is just making your own stuff and doing the things that you actually <laughs> want to do? I'd say 99% of the time I'm just doing what I want to do. I don't really actively seek acting work at all. Um, I think maybe that's, if I was to do acting as a sole choice, I would do that more, but I find my, the least fun part of the job is seeking down the work. So I've been fortunate to have some stuff come up. Otherwise I try to just create things that I really enjoy doing. And then sometimes that turns into work and that's a really nice thing. Although for me, it's just about keeping it fun and peaceful. And if it isn't, then I always wonder why am I doing this? <laughs> Uh, well, I wanted to jump back a little bit because I, I know that you uh, spent time uh, as an actor and improviser at Disney theme parks. And I know that you wrote a pilot based on that experience. So I was just curious at that point in your career, what what was that like for you? And what do you think? How do you think that experience informed you going forward? I actually look back on that time in my life working at Disney as a very good time because it was a really good union job and it was steady work and I was also teaching. So it felt like the first time where I, you know, just didn't have to worry too much about anything and could save some money. And it was a carefree time. And then like all things, when you're, I think when you're working for a big company, it started to get a little oppressive at times and other things came along. And then um, I met my now fiance and she had worked there as well. And so when we kind of started writing that pilot, it was a, good way to like put a button on the end of that period and to also take something out of it. It felt like it was going into a next level and it was really fun writing with her. And uh, it, it sort of like was a great little bow to tie on the end of that whole experience because otherwise it, I felt like it would have just kind of faded away in my life, which it was doing anyway. So this was a nice way to wrap it up. 
<laughs> can you go to Disney now or like, can you just go to the park and have fun or does it like bring back memories or how, how does that, have you tried that? Oh yeah. I, yeah, I have. I absolutely can. I, I grew up in Southern California, so I was never one of those people. Like as a kid, I adored it. Right. But as an adult, it was, I never like was a annual pass holder or anything. Cause it was always just kind of in my backyard. So I don't mean this like in a bad way. I never had a reverence for it like some people do. So it also never really upset me if it did. <laughs> if, it, if it was too, if there was too much. So I go there, you know, and uh, there are certain things I love to do there and certain things that drive me crazy. So I just stick to the fun things. And usually it's about the company you're with anyway. So I really like going there. I enjoy it. And I have fond mem- memories of working there. I mean, I worked there with all my best friends before and after. And so it was kind of just like getting paid to hang out anyway. And so it's nice to see the old stuff. <laughs> uh, well, I, I wanted to ask you too about channel one one I'm always interested to talk to people about that. I, I think it's a, a very cool thing and you were involved uh, pretty early on. I think that's correct. Uh, so I just wanted, yeah, I think the very beginning. Uh, so I just was curious how you got involved with that and, and what that experience was like for you. That was really fun. Um, we were friends with uh, Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub before that. And there was this thing that was like a prototype version of Channel 101 that they did called the Midnight Movie Madness. And uh, we worked with Steve Agee on something that was in that. And then I think they only did a few more before it just sort of became this thing. And um, whatever that was, we were either going to it or doing pilots from the very beginning, I think. And uh, I don't know, it was just, it was like a whole social circle like Disney was. So it wasn't like this thing of we've got to get a pilot in. It was just, let's make a movie with our friends. Let's pull from this group here. And then next time we'll pull these guys. And at that point, all of the channel one-on-ones were very inbred. You know, people would see each other's films and go, oh, you should do mine. I'll do yours and that sort of thing. And so it was a fun community. And then the one we made that kind of ran for a little bit was Ultra Force, but the production value was so overwhelming that we just killed the characters. And then that's what eventually led to us doing Super Ego because with audio commentary, you didn't have to do all those visual production values. So <laughs> it was fun. Uh, well, I do want to talk to you about uh, Super Ego, but just for a second, since you mentioned Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub, I, of course, wanted to make sure I mentioned how much I enjoyed your uh, cameo in the season six of Community, your little uh, teaser at the end, which was really fun. I, I love how like just bizarre those got in the last season, the the sort of like tags at the end of the episodes. But uh, what was that? I, I imagine that was just like you said, you're friends with them. I don't know if they just kind of called you up to come in, but was that fun to do? It was really fun. And yeah, I, I love those how bizarre things got in season six too. And I think like, I think those ones will go down in history and be revisited as this really interesting experiment ahead of its time. Um, I, that was, I remember that being a stressful day actually, because it was a day that I was doing something on the comedy bang bang TV show. And so at that point, my understanding of community was they were like all over the place with scheduling and everything with Dan Harmon is, you know, kind of last minute. And so he texted me, I think, and I really wanted to do it and had to work it out scheduling wise. So I remember doing this thing on Comedy Bang Bang and then rushing over from Comedy Bang Bang shoots in Glendale and 
community was shooting in like studio city. So I had to drive over and rush hour traffic. And I just got my two page monologue as I started driving over. So I'm driving and memorizing <laughs> at the same time. And I, you know, like I do these Volkswagen commercials and they're like one eighth the amount of lines, but they're really hard to memorize because it's just all automobile jargon. But Dan Harmon's writing, I felt like I could swallow that two page monologue in an hour. I mean, I was running it like crazy. There was definitely a pressure thing, but it all just made perfect sense. And so I got there and I, the crew was all very tired from a long season. And I think it was a scrambled season. And Rob Schaub was the director who's just fantastic and just like makes you feel so welcome. And we just shot it. I don't know. We probably did it five times, maybe in different angles. I think the whole thing was meant to be a one thing. Uh, got as close as we could, and it seemed like that was good enough for everybody who was very tired. And I think the whole thing probably took two hours, and that included shooting the little boardroom scene. It was pretty in and out, very, very easy, and they make it very user friendly. But it was fun to do. I do love that there's a uh, Dan Harmon doppelganger in the like boardroom scene, too. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, That's well, fun. Uh, well, you like you said, you mentioned Super Ego, and I, of course, uh, want to talk to you about that. Um, I, I guess part of me is just curious about the the process of making that show and and how involved it is to, as you said, you know, it kind of came out of wanting to do something maybe easier than we were doing for Channel 101. But I, I still feel like there's probably a lot of production and editing and, and such that goes into it. Like, how long does it take you to kind of put together an episode? Well, that's the irony of it. We started it because we thought it would be easier. And for a while it was, but then I think just over time, it was this natural progression of more and more people started listening. So I sort of felt this, I don't know, this need to make the quality either consistent or better each time. And so it got more and more elaborate sketches got longer and the production value got higher. And so, yeah, now <laughs> to the point where it's almost impossible to get an episode out. And that's funny you should mention that because I literally am editing this morning some more super ego when you called. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's a long, but fun process. I, I think it's getting less and less sustainable and that's why the show doesn't come out that often and probably is, is nearing its natural, I think, conclusion. Um, but we, we nowadays even scheduling is a little difficult. So getting the four of us in the same room, much less the four of us and a guest or two is difficult, but it's really fun. And then we, record and it, even now too, it seems like we record less each time that we you know we talk a lot more and so once we get something in the can i'll listen to it and maybe half of what we do that night will be worth anything and then it takes a day to just even edit a story out of it and then at least another day to do the production value and stuff like that so each sketch is usually split up between two days and so if we have five or six we're looking at like um, i guess 12 days of editing I'm doing. So it just became something that I couldn't really get done in a month with other work coming around. There was a period in my life where I used to literally just work weekends and I had other teaching work that was online during the week. So I could spend so much time on super ego. And plus we hadn't done as much. So it was fresher. Now there's like a fatigue aspect of it and a scheduling aspect and all that stuff, which is good. It's a natural progression. It just means we're all busy, which is a very positive thing. But I think Super Ego still remains our first love in many ways, even if we can't give it all the attention we need. The other thing too, is that 
I just really want it to feel good and inspired. And we've done recording sessions in during breaks that felt like we haven't really recharged. So I always try to remind myself and I guess some listeners too that who like very lovingly get impatient that um, the only reason to put one out is because it's worth putting out and it's good. Otherwise, like we're not on a schedule. We don't make money. They're free. You know, we don't make money off the free episodes. So why not put something out when it's good, no matter when that is, I guess. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I will say that that was when I told people that I was interviewing you and asked if there was anything they wanted me to ask. That was a question that came up of when is there going to be more superego? So that did come up. But I do feel like in a weird way that that's kind of maybe more of an American thing that, you know, like if you look at English TV or the way like there's certain people like Larry David or, or very uh, Louis C.K., I guess, with his show, maybe who can do that where they can release stuff when they're inspired. But American Overall, we tend to just be like, no, make more of it. Like, even if you don't feel like doing it, and even if they're not that good, we just want more. Which is all. Yeah, I think people get really used to like a TV release schedule of of season blocks, and that's that's gospel. That's got to be the way it is. And um, boy, I certainly appreciate the desire for it. That's so nice to hear. And then, other than that, I, I'm afraid people, even if they got it when they wanted it, wouldn't be that happy with the quality of it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I, I guess the good news, though, too, is there is a lot of uh, other ways to hear you doing podcasts these days, which is a good thing. I know that you... you oh, God, yeah. <laughs> um, There's no shortage of me on podcasts. <laughs> Um, well, I, I want to ask about a number of them, but, uh, since we're kind of talking super ego, uh, I obviously have loved you on uh spontaneous nation as well. That's a really fun show that I enjoy. That seems like, Thank you. uh, is maybe the opposite in that, like, from what I understand, you guys have months and months of that and you could all retire from showbiz and there would continue to be episodes of spontaneous nation coming out. So that's good. Yeah. I, I know I've recorded episodes that I think are coming out in May or June or something of this year. So the, yeah, the, it's, it's bottled up, which I really envy Paul for that. He's got all of those in the can and can just relax for a while. I try to do that with, I was there too sometimes, but it's, it's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well I do. Uh, I, I was there too is, uh, an awesome show. And I, it's one of those ideas when you came out with it that I was like, that is brilliant. I can't believe no one thought to make that before. So that that is an awesome show. That Where did the idea come from, though? Oh, that came from Jeff Ulrich, who is the former head of Earwolf. And uh, it was a brilliant idea. And he and I were working together. I work as a consultant for Earwolf. And we were developing shows for the pop culture branch of Earwolf. And he mentioned the show and then said, I think you should do this. And I felt like that was so nice of him to say. And I was like, I can't pass that up. That's a no brainer. It sounds really fun. And um, it took a while to figure out how to book guests for that thing. But now it seems to be sustaining itself a little bit with the help of a professional booker. And a lot of them come from people who are listeners who set me up with good guests. And how do you, uh, do you have like a philosophy when you go into that or, or what do you, how do you try to approach those interviews? Well, I sort of learned that myself as I was going along, cause I hadn't really done interview shows before. So there was definitely a learning curve. I know that if I don't know the person, cause sometimes I interview people that I know, which is the easiest day because I know I'm going in with someone that I can already have a conversation with. And that puts me at peace. 
the first thing I do when I don't know them is try to figure out, okay, what are they like? Do they, are they really open about this? Are they nervous? Are they uh, pleasant? You know, like you get all types. And so I got to try to figure out how to kind of cater to them to get the best conversation out of them. Um, otherwise I've learned that because I, I struggle with wanting a great diversity in films, but also there are certain films I've done that I'm not even necessarily that interested in. And I don't feel like I give the best interviews that way. Um, so I've tried to limit it this season, at least to films that I care about, or at least roles that I care about that were significant and not to do it just to do it, but to have sort of some history with the film myself. So I feel like I can be passionate. I feel like the best interviews are when I'm interested in the stories in the film as well. I, I, just as I'm listening to you talk that, that comes up, uh, again and again, that you keep mentioning that of like doing stuff that you're passionate about and, uh, you know, being able to do stuff, you know, just the, that seems to be the arc of your career though. And I think that's cool because I imagine that that's not everyone out in Hollywood, that there are a lot of people who, uh, end up doing things that maybe they're not super passionate about. Do you, does that feel unique to you or is that just, uh, always just been kind of your approach and it, it's worked to this point or, or do you think about that at all? Yeah. I, in fact, I think that's the only way I operate, but it's not a principled sort of thing. It's truly like, I wouldn't know how to do it any other way because I, I've found myself doing work before that was maybe good work, but I was saying, Oh, I felt obligated to do this. Not like I obligated to a person, but like, this is an opportunity that I think everybody else would really love but down deep, I'm going, I don't know that this is something I'm enjoying. And so it's the hardest thing in the world to draw the line and go, do I turn something down? Because it just doesn't seem fun. Because in the end, I try to think like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily in this for fame. I think I work enough, so everything's fine. So why not just do the things that make it fun? And that's not always easy to choose. But in general, I feel like I don't do good work unless I do that. So I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot either way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's an interesting mix, though, of obviously like following your joy, but also you do a lot of things that involve a lot of planning and work. So do you how much of like a long term plan do you have or do you think in the future or is it still just like sort of reactionary of, OK, today I have to edit Super Ego tomorrow. I have to record this podcast or are you able to sort of schedule and plan and, and look towards like a five year plan or something? It's funny. Yeah. I have a long-term plan only in so far as my life stability goes, like the responsible things about, you know, retirement and home ownership. I like, I look at the long-term plan for that a hundred percent, but career wise, I think honestly, maybe a month at the most because I've, I've been able to teach pretty regularly. So I feel secure that I'll at least have a baseline of work, but that allows me so much free time that I don't think of work, I guess, in terms of money, I think in terms of products. So I think like oh, this week I can edit Super Ego, I can do this podcast because it's something I enjoy. And even those can feel like burdens sometimes, but in a good way. So I just think about, yeah, what's what's next on the horizon in terms of projects that I get to do and stuff. And I guess going all the way back to when I was a child, that's the way I thought. I would wake up in the day and go, oh, what should I draw today? Or what should I make today? I, my mom was very good about like a creative environment and sometimes we would do things together so i just always look forward to making things and i well i guess i'm realizing right now i guess that's never changed 
I think that's a good thing, though. I, I think that's what people often hope to do. And then at some point, you know, get crushed by a nine to five job situation. So I think it's good that you've been able to to maintain that. Yeah, I feel incredibly lucky and I forget it sometimes, but that, that does, because even in the times where I have work that goes on steadily, that doesn't allow me to do creative pursuits, I really feel the pressure of that. And so I, I really, really appreciate having the time and flexibility to do this stuff, even though it seems like it's happening less and less, I still really long for it. Do you have stuff that you want to do that is still kind of filed away as someday projects or have you been pretty good about having ideas and being able to execute them? Yeah, I, I just wanted to do more. I Yeah, I do. I definitely do. I, I really like dabbling in music and art too. I'd like to maybe do a children's book. I would love to do some animation and then, you know, at some point record some more music. I really enjoy that. And it seems like I go through these almost seven year phases or something like that, where it's like drawing and then music and then comedy or something. And, um, I don't know. They feel like they're all mixing up right now. (laughs) I'm not sure where I, but I I think I just, there are plenty of things I want to do, but I only listen to the one that that day is going, this is the one I want to do. I mean, it sort of answers itself where I just, there's one I'm more excited about. So I definitely head toward that. Uh, what do you think you'd be doing for a living if you hadn't sort of pursued this path? Oh boy. Um, maybe something in graphic design, I guess I, I wanted to be an animator when I was younger, but that like 2d animation died out around the time I would have been training for it. So I probably would have, I bet I would have evolved into like an industrial designer or something like that, or maybe an illustrator. That's what I, I, mean, I think that was my first creative pursuit was drawing and illustration. So I, I think that's what it would have been, but I, I had too much of a, a need for like fun, immediate um, <laughs> satisfaction. So that's where acting came in, I think, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's, what's great about improv too, is that you get that immediate feedback even more than acting sometimes too yeah definitely and it's funny because a lot of the stuff i do is released later on a podcast but even just i i think i've learned that it's not the attention of the audience i crave it's the fun with the performers i crave so with super ego and like comedy bang bang when you're in the room and you're joking back and forth and you see the reaction on the other person's face and then you react that way to theirs you're getting an immediate feedback from people you respect and being able to like build something off each other's reactions is such a fun high that that's become the thing that I think is, is the most fun for me. What is something that most people don't know about you? Hmm. I guess that I'm pretty shy. (laughs) (laughs) I I think people that, that listen to my podcast know me as a, you know, what would seem like an extrovert or, or a conversationalist or something. And I think I possess that from being a teacher and a performer, but day to day, I basically happiest when I'm at home and, uh, you know, I'm not great at small talk at parties. I'm not really great at parties and I can do it. And I can, there are times when I definitely have fun, but 
if given my druthers, I'm home on the couch uh, <laughs> being a recluse. <laughs> uh, the the more I talk to you, the more this is like you have my dream career. I think like just like because I, I relate to all of that. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that means a lot. That's really nice to hear. So there you have it, my interview with Matt Gorley, and I was right, right? Awesome dude, just very cool career. Uh, you know, in the kind of career I, I think any artistic person would love to just have, you know, uh, where he, he seems to really do things on his own terms, which I think is amazing. Uh, so hopefully you enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully you uh if you were unfamiliar with matt gorley hopefully you learned a, a little bit about him and if you were familiar hopefully you learned some new things about him and uh to end things this week is actually kind of cool uh he sent me a song to play at the end uh to close out the show which is very cool of him and it's from something uh he posted which was called stay tuned volume one the complete collection which is a collection of TV theme songs from classic shows that never existed, uh, which is just awesome. There, there's a whole bunch of these. If you go to Matt Gorley's Tumblr, you can read more about them. Uh, and I'll, I'll throw up a link to that so you can check it out. But this particular theme song uh, was for The Better Half, which I'll go ahead and, and give you on the, the website. There's a description of this particular imaginary episode of the better half, which says Charlotte is passed over on the Henderson account and stages an impromptu office walkout. Later, a date with an old flame gets messy when he takes her to ex-husband Lloyd's favorite bistro. Uh, so <laughs> there you go. That is the episode that never existed. And without further ado, here is the theme song. Hope you enjoy it. And remember kids don't do drugs or you go to hell before you die. Till death do you part Unless in your heart you know better You know better of being his better half Now he's got a new wife And he got a new life in the city be willing to do just an intro for it where you just basically say this is Matt Gorley you're listening to Hobo Radio and then you can say anything you want after that sure hi this is Matt Gorley you're listening to Hobo Radio where I talk about myself interminably to, at some point feel free to shut it down whenever you need to
<laughs> what do you want me to say about just about the interview or what, what do you mean? I mean, that's fine. I, I love to leave it open. I, I think I just enjoy seeing what oh, okay. people do with it. So you can do another one if you want, or I'm happy with that one. It's up to you. Oh, yeah, I'll try another one. <laughs> Hobo Radio is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on iTunes. Hear more great shows on the Thundergrunt Podcast Network. 